with us. He's going to help us. And I'm just believing that I'm going to come back with a report that people were baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So tonight, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not starting a series tonight. I'll probably start another series when I get back. But tonight is, uh, is not going to be a series. We've uh, we finished the Beatitudes. So tonight, we're just going to dive into the Word. And we, we've heard a lot of people talk about, well, that's just what I'm called to do. You hear preachers talk about you know, that God called them to the ministry. God called them to a certain area. God called them. And I, I believe all of that. So don't. Don't misunderstand me at all. I believe all of that. But I also believe this. Every single one of us has a calling. Every person in this room tonight has a calling. And so tonight, we're just going to talk about simply this. Called to be. Called to be. At the... Ceremony of Pope John Paul II. It was held back in May of 2011 in the city of Rome. It was presided over by Pope Benedict XVI. There was a total of 87 international delegations that attended the ceremony, including 22 world leaders. Thousands of pilgrims, many of them from John Paul's native land of Poland, spent the night in sleeping bags on bridges and in piazzas all around town. And then they packed St. Peter's Square as soon as the barricades were opened. More than a million Catholics gathered for the Mass, and a giant portrait of the former Pope brought cheers and tears and applause from the crowd as it was unveiled. A vigil in preparation for the celebration was held the night before in the Circus Maximus. The casket in which he is interred was exhumed for two days uh, or two days ago, and it was placed in front of the main altar for the public to go by and view during the ceremony. Pope Benedict put John Paul on the fast track for sainthood when he dispensed with the traditional five-year waiting period, and he allowed for the process to begin just weeks after his death on April the 2nd, 2005. He was responding to the chants of Santo Sabido, Santo Sabido, which means sainthood immediately. Those chants erupted during John Paul's funeral. In the ceremony in May of 2011, before his canonization as a saint of the Catholic Church, uh, John Paul II was declared blessed, which was the last stage before becoming the Pope. So for this process and for this ceremony to take place, a person must be credited with a miracle. It must be given credit for a miracle by the Catholic Church. Pope Benedict ruled the year before 
that John Paul II had miraculously cured a French nun of Parkinson's disease after his death, a condition that he also suffered from. And so now, in order for him to achieve sainthood, the late Pope was going to need to perform a second miracle, also from beyond the grave. Now, some of you, as I'm reading, talking about this, you're looking at me going, and here's why you're doing that. Because none of what I just talked about makes sense. None of it is biblical. It's, it's just not there. Sadly, it's not there. And I say sadly because there are people all over our world that follow after this. They believe it wholeheartedly. They give their life to it. They bring their families up in it. They raise their kids in those beliefs. But sadly, none of this is in the Bible. The word saints in its English form, I'm not talking about the New Orleans saints. I'm still kind of upset with them for last Sunday. <clears throat> but the word saints in its English form occurs most frequently in Paul's epistles in the New Testament. Forty times out of a total of 62 times in the New Testament is the word saints used in Paul's writings. It is basically always a plural word. Really, one of the only places you'll find that the word saints is used in the Bible, and it's not a plural word, is in Philippians 4 and verse 21, where Paul told us to salute every saint. Now, among Catholics, the term saint has only a technical connotation, referring only to one who has been officially what they call canonized by the church. It's a process that they go through to where someone can begin to enter into what they call sainthood or being a saint. And so the thing about it is, is that it's very obvious and contradictory that the Bible uses the term as a very general designation for all Christians. The Bible just uses it very generally, referring to the saints. When it talks about the church, it refers to them as the saints. When it talks about uh, people that are falling, falling, following in the way of Christianity, they're referred to as saints. Now, the Greek word is the adjective hagios, which means holy means holy. So hence the word saints literally means set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. So in order for me to be a saint, I must be set apart for God and I must be exclusively his. I can't truly be a saint and serve the devil on Monday and Tuesday. And then I want to come in and be a saint on Wednesday. And then serve the devil on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then decide I want to come back on Sunday and be a saint again. 
I must be set apart for God, and I must be exclusively His. Which just very simply means this. Christianity, this life that we live, this this path that we walk, it's not just a Sunday and Wednesday thing. It's not just a when I feel the need to pray thing. This is a lifestyle. It's not just what we do. It must become who we are. I don't do Christianity. I am a Christian. It's got to be who we are. And so the primary meaning of the word holy throughout the Bible is a meaning of separation. It uses words like apart and withdrawal. It is a term of separation. Today, the word saints has fallen into disuse in the church. It's really begun, the word saints is kind of going away in a lot of our churches. It's being replaced with the word believer. We don't talk about the saints anymore. We talk about believers. We don't talk about, I want to be a saint. We just say, I'm a believer. And, you know, that's really kind of one of those give or take things. I'm not going to stand here and try to make an issue of that, but I am pointing out that with the Bible, there is no distinction whatsoever between a saint and a believer. Biblically, they are the same thing. But now, in the world that we live in, in the Christian society that we are now a part of, well, it's quite different. Because if a saint means set apart to God and exclusively His, but then yet the word believer, well, we like using the word believer because in our society, the word believer requires a whole lot less out of us than the word saint. I can just be a believer and I can just believe on God. I can believe in God. But I don't necessarily have to be a saint. You know, I can believe and still dabble in this, still be hung up with this. But if I'm going to be a saint, then I've got to be set apart for God. I've got to exclusively belong to Jesus Christ. So according to German theologian Hermann Kramer, he said, quote, as God's holiness becomes sanctification and believers are received into the fellowship of the redeeming God, the predicate hagios or holy is suitable of them also, seeing that it expresses the special grace which they experience who are in the fellowship and possession of New Testament salvation. Now of the word saints, English theologian William Vine says this, in the plural, as used of believer, it designates all such and is not applied merely to persons of exceptional holiness. Read that again. In the plural, as used of believers, he's talking about the use of the word saints. In the plural, as used of a believer, it designates all, all, not applied to merely persons of exceptional 
holiness. So in other words, what he was saying was this, is that when it comes to the use of the word saints, it is applied to everybody who wants to profess Christianity, not just the people who really step it up in levels of holiness. Which means this, that all Christians are called to be saints. I can't be a Christian without being a saint. I can't be a Christian without being set apart unto God. I can't be a Christian without being holy. I can't be a Christian without being exclusively His. Now, look at somebody next to you and introduce yourself to them as I'm saint so-and-so. Now that felt weird, didn't it? It it felt awkward. But it is absolutely true. The Old Testament contains many references to the saints. Psalms chapter 30 and verse 4. Psalms chapter 30 and verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Psalms chapter 31 and verse 23. O love the Lord, all ye His saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 9 says, O fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. Psalm 37 and verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not His saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. I'm glad to be a saint. I'm glad that Bishop and Sister King made it home safe from their trip. Amen. Let's give them a great hand. Uh Uh-oh, she picked something up over there. (laughs) I'm glad to be a saint. I'm glad to know that because I am set apart to God and because I am exclusively His, that because of that, this verse we just read says that the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever. But the wicked, well, they're going to be cut off. I'm glad to know that because of the life that I have chosen to live, that I'm going to be preserved, that I'm going to be kept, that I'm going to be forever his. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 5. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Psalms chapter 132 and verse 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Psalm chapter 132, now verse 16. I will also clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. You know, that's why we raise our voice in church. 
It's because we're saints. And the Bible talks about that the saints will shout aloud for joy. I don't, I don't raise my voice in church because I feel like I have to. I do it because I get to. I do it because I'm glad to be in God's presence. I'm glad to be in God's service. I do it because I'm glad I know that He's going to keep me forever. And so we can shout for joy. Psalms chapter 145 and verse 10. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Psalms chapter 116 and verse 15. This is one we use all the time in funerals. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of His saints. And we all, when we hear that Scripture, we can think of people that that, that exemplifies. Yesterday, October the... Yesterday was the 8th, right? Yes. Yesterday, October the 8th, was the birthday of my childhood pastor, Brother Carlton Watkins. On October the 23rd of 2009, he finished his race. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. I can stand here tonight and tell you boldly, emphatically, that Brother Watkins finished his race well. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we, we can think of examples of people that we've known that we can say with confidence, I know they finished their race well. You know, I can only find a handful of places in the Bible where someone was called to ministry. There's really only a handful of places in the Bible where that occurred. And there was, there's really, you, you can search this book from the index to the maps, and you're really going to struggle to find a place where the Bible lets us know that someone was called to preach sermons. You have a hard time finding that. But there are dozens of places throughout the Word of God where we are called to fulfill our roles as the saints of the Most High God. Well, I'm not called to be a preacher, but you're still called. I'm not called to pastor, but you're still called. I'm not called to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm not called to be a singer. I'm not called to be a bus ministry worker. I'm not called. But you're still called. We're called to be saints. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon his name, Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in who? The preachers? No. In the saints. We're called to be saints. Now, what does that mean? It means exactly what we covered in the very beginning, that by very definition, saints is set apart for God and exclusively His. Every single one of us in this room, we are called to be set apart for God and to be exclusively His. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You want a one-God Scripture? There you go. It was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has done what? Called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Every single person in this room tonight, you can raise your head and lift your hand and say, I am called. I'm called. The most important calling that you're ever going to have on your life is not your calling to a certain ministry role in the body of Christ. It's not your calling to stand in a pulpit. It's not your calling to be in a Sunday school room. It's not your calling to lead a youth group. It's not your calling to stand at a platform and sing or be at an instrument and play. That's not the most important calling that you're going to ever have in your life. The most important calling that every single one of us are ever going to have is that I'm called to be a saint. Because Bishop, you and I, we don't have to be a preacher to be saved. That's not our highest calling. I could resign from the ministry and go find a church and sit on a pew and be what we would casually call a saint. And if I fulfilled the calling of a saint, then I'm saved. And fulfilling a calling in one of these areas in the church does not guarantee my salvation. It doesn't. 
Matter of fact, some of the greatest tragedies in life have taken place in the lives of people who were called to be up front. Because tonight, a guy that Sister King, I went to Texas Bible College with, He's waiting for them to tell him when the date of his trial begins. And he's probably going to prison. He's probably going for a long time. Music director in a one God apostolic Pentecostal church. 34 years old. And solicited a 16-year-old girl online who goes to the church where he's a music director. Wrecked his life. His wife's already left. He's got three kids. One of them's old enough to know the mess that his dad's created. This doesn't guarantee anything. As a matter of fact, if anything it puts even more of a mark on you than anything else does. Why? Because the devil focuses on what's up front, and he also focuses on what took his place. See, The devil doesn't like it when people get up and sing for the glory of God. Because what got him kicked out of heaven, Brother Shane, was that he began to sing no longer for the glory of God, but for the glory of himself. And so he can't stand it when somebody fulfills that role and sings for the glory of God. Do you know that they say that Lucifer was the most beautiful being in the entire world? If you've ever gone and studied it, never gone and read it, they say that Lucifer was literally covered with all kinds of stones and gems and precious uh, Stones and, I mean, just stones and gems. He was covered. And they literally say, this is what, this is what biblical scholars have determined, is that because of all of the gems and precious stones that he was covered with, that when he would go into the throne of God and the light of God would shine off of him, that Lucifer would dance and sing across the throne room and they say that the light of God would reflect off of him in beautiful prisms and rays of light. He literally reflected the glory of God. That's what our singers do when they get up here. They're not coming up here for their glory. They're not coming up here so that they can entertain you. They're not coming up here so that they can sing a song and we can give a polite clap because, well, they did a pretty good job at the end of it. No, they're coming up here so that every move that they make, they are reflecting the glory of God. It's not a show. It's not entertainment. It is something where we need to come in and get behind them and say, you know what? I don't care if they miss a beat somewhere. I don't care if they hit a note wrong. I don't care if the harmony's not perfect every point in the song. They're not doing this for entertainment. They're reflecting His glory, and I'm fixing to get lost in that glory. 
And when that happens, then we can do more than clap for 12 and a half seconds when the song is over. When we realize that the whole purpose of it is to reflect the glory of God. And then we begin to realize that, wait a second, it's not just something for them. I can reflect the glory of God. And so then we begin to lift our hands and wave them in the sanctuary. Why? Because God's glory is being reflected through us and off of us. That's what it's all about. And we're all called to be saints. We're all called to be saints. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Walk worthy of God. I know I read that scripture a moment ago, but I wanted to come back and hit that again. Walk worthy of God. I'm not going to be perfect, but God help me if I get comfortable doing God knows what throughout the week and then think that I can walk into God's house and, oh, I'm going to worship now though. No, I want to walk worthy of His glory. Worthy of God. That is the most important calling. The highest calling is to be a saint of God. You hear me and you hear me well. There is nothing more important in the kingdom of God There's nothing more important. Because you can have the best preacher, the best pastor in the entire world, but if you don't have any saints, you don't have a church. You can get a preacher that can barely crawl his way up onto a platform and can barely put three sentences together. But if you've got some faithful saints that never miss, you've got some faithful saints that are worthy, walk worthy of God. You've got some faithful saints that say, I'm going to be a part of this no matter what. I'm called to be a saint. Then I can tell you what, regardless of the weaknesses or the failures of that preacher, you've got a church. There's nothing more important than a saint. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of the household of God. Jude chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his got to be preachers, right? If he's going to come with anybody, it's going to be with 10,000 preachers. No. With 10,000 of his saints. The greatest calling. We're called to be saints. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. 
Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. I don't have a ministry. You're called to be a saint. And it's the greatest. And it's the most needed. And it's the most necessary. You matter to the church. But what about the fivefold ministry? You know, that, that's important. It's very important in the leadership of the church. But the entire concept. Did you know that the, the verse in the Bible, and I'm fixing to read it to you. Did you know that the verse in the Bible about the fivefold ministry? It is buried and sandwiched in between scriptures that do nothing but talk about the saints. Yes, the fivefold ministry is very important for the leadership of the church. But there's got to be saints. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. And I'm hastening to a close. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But descended, but uh, excuse me, now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that hath descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, verse 11, and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. We don't preach just to be heard. We don't preach to boost our ego. We don't preach to run anybody into the ground. We preach for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry. You've got the thumb. That's the apostle. The apostle is the role of a minister that touches all other ministries. thumb. The index finger is the prophet. 
That prophet gives direction. This is the way you need to go. You need to stay away from this. This is what the door you need to walk through. It gives direction. The middle finger is the evangelist. And the middle finger reaches further than all the other fingers. It's the evangelist. It's the one that reaches into the hedges. It's the one that reaches into the ditch, trying to reach someone who is lost. He does the work of the evangelist. Then the ring finger is the pastor, and the pastor is in covenant with the local church. The pastor isn't just running here and there and everywhere and doing this and doing that. The pastor is in covenant with the local church. And then the little finger brings balance. And that is the teacher. Because it can't always just be about preaching. It can't always be just about... Sometimes we've got to just bring it down and teach and we've got to bring some balance. That is the five-fold ministry. Verse 11 that we just read that's still on the screen is not a three-fold job description for the five-fold ministry. The leadership of the church is given one task to mature the saints who then do the work of the ministry. You're called. And even if you're not called to be a preacher, you're still called to do the work of the ministry. And so I will say this the fivefold ministry probably really is a sixfold ministry because saints are not just church members. Saints are not just church members who attend church and give in the offering. Saints are able ministers of the New Testament. They're set apart for God. They're exclusively His. And they do the work of the ministry. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. He suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Psalms chapter 105, verses 14 and 15. He suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Now, we have always used that Scripture talking about preachers. Don't talk bad about the preacher. Touch not mine anointed. But the more I look at it, Sister Lynette, the more I believe that I come to realize that when he says, touch not mine anointed, he's talking about the saints. And when he says, and do my prophets no harm, he's talking about the preacher. Touch not mine anointed. It refers to saints. Last scripture, and I'm closing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat 
in mine house. You know what part of being a saint is? It's giving. Part of being a saint is bringing my tithes to the storehouse. What? So the preacher doesn't have to work a job? No. And anybody that that gets mad about a a pastor that's able to be full-time at his church because of the giving of the church, you just wait until you get to a church that size and, and, and just wait until you're the one getting 30 phone calls and 30 text messages every single day because people in the church want to unload their problems on you. So I bring my tithes to the storehouse, so what? So the church can not spend the money wisely, so we can just, no. We're fixing to get to why you bring your tithes to the storehouse later on in this scripture. Bring your tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's why we bring our tithes to the storehouse. is because I want God to open up the windows of heaven over my home. And I want God to pour out a blessing on me that there's not room enough for me to receive it. That's why I'm faithful in my giving. It's not because the preacher's checking the log and and I don't want him to come talk to me or pull me in the office. No. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'll never pull somebody in the office because they're not paying tithe. Now, if you're going to be in leadership, you're going to be faithful in tithing. but I'm not fixing to go through the log and see who's tithing and then come out and come up to you and say, look, now, this is how much you gave, and if I, if I do the math and, the, and you're supposed to be given 10%, then that means you, gave, you made $27.42 this week, and I kind of figure you made more than that. You need to step up. No, that's going to be between you and God, but we ought to all want to bring our tithes to the storehouse. Why? Because I want to be blessed. And then here's what else I want. Verse 11. This is still talking about bringing tithes to the storehouse. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know what the devourer is? Does anybody know what the devourer is in this scripture? It's everything that goes wrong that drains your money. Because I'm not faithful in my giving. And then guess what happens? I have five flat tires in a week. Yeah, I said five. I'm not faithful in my giving, so then the washing machine goes out. And I'm not faithful in my giving, so this goes out and that goes out. And I, man, I'm, hold, I, I'm holding on to 98% of my income, and I feel like I don't have enough left. But then all of a sudden, that person, the light bulb comes on and they start giving the way they're supposed to give to the house of God. And they say, wait a second, I'm only holding on to 85, 90% of my, of my income and I've got money left over at the end of the month. You know why? It's because God rebukes the devourer for your sake. 
and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. We are called to be saints. Would you stand with me tonight? I want to be a saint.